Um, if you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 57. And we're going to Isaiah chapter 57, looking at verse 15 in just a moment. And we're beginning the series called The Pathway to Holiness. Uh, or, yeah, Pathway to Holiness. And in fact, we'll, we'll share uh, two messages on that in the next two Sundays. And then there will be a break. And then we'll come back and we'll finish up with one more mass message on, on, on this topic. Um, really kind of understanding holiness and what that that means for us and what that does to us, what that does to you as we understand the holiness of God and God becomes a part of our life. Um, to begin with, I want to share a funny story. A guy from Florida shared with me, an Hispanic guy and one of my best buddies. He, he, he told me about this guy that was stranded on a deserted isle. This, this island, like an atoll, just, I mean, had just a few trees and not much resources. But this guy made the best of it. He was there on this, this deserted isle all by himself. Um, and so he had to survive. And while he survived, you know, he, he found ways to keep himself busy. busy. And so he, he built some huts. And, and finally, after a couple of years, uh, a ship comes along and rescues the guy. The captain, he tenders a boat. He comes to the island with some of his first officers and mates. And, and, and they're rescuing the guy that's been on this deserted island for a couple of years. And they notice he has these huts. And the captain says to the guy that had been stranded on the deserted isle, he says to them, or he says to him, he says, uh, oh, what's that hut for? I mean, it was a real beautiful, extravagant hut, very creative. And the man said, well, that's my home. That's where I sleep every night. That's why I built that hut. And then the captain said, well, what's that hut over there for? And the man on the stranded deserted island, he said, well, that hut, that's where I go to church. That's my church. And the first mate said, well, what's that third hut over there? And he said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I mean, and we do that sometimes. I mean, sometimes we, we, we find ourselves seeking something. Maybe we church hop or we go from place to place or ministry to ministry. I mean, sometimes that happens because there is something that we are seeking, something that we want, something to fill the emptiness in life. And so we go off seeking that, and maybe we, we could call it one thing or another, but I think one thing that we may, I believe it's okay to call it, is that we're seeking revival, just a little bit maybe. We're seeking revival of, of the Spirit, and I love the idea, I mean, it's an intriguing concept that there is this ability, or there is this possibility, I should say, of experiencing revival, I mean, revival of the soul. I mean, the whole idea that there's this living breath and this life that is possible in Jesus Christ and, and that we can have this momentum that is experienced because of the presence of God. And, and I understand somebody on the sidelines could say, well, is that real? I mean, is it is it really long lasting or is it just an emotional thing? Is it just something that's been created by man? And so we're kind of on this mountaintop and we're having a really good spiritual mountaintop experience. Maybe it's at church camp. Maybe it's at the caravan camp that's happening this weekend we got about 50 people up at Indian Hills campground at this big caravan camp and and there was revival there last night and and so maybe it's just this kind of emotional high quite possibly and maybe from the sidelines you could also ask is God a part of this I mean is this a God thing or is it just all about what man does in in regards to kind of building himself up as we think about the idea of revival but then we come to the book of Isaiah go with me now let's go to the word we go to the book of Isaiah and we find that Isaiah does have some things to say about this idea of revival. 
In fact, we could say Isaiah was not only, you know, a major prophet, that he was a great revivalist. I mean, if anybody was ever an expert on the idea of what it means to renew or revive the body of Christ or renew and revive the heart of an individual of a person, then we could say that Isaiah is the expert on that matter. Because when we talk about revival, we read about revival, we have to go to the book of Isaiah. And it's, it's interesting because here is this man that was the mouthpiece of God and he was used so powerfully by God to lift the church up in revival. But yet he also experiences the lows of, of well, reality. In fact, the tradition says, uh, Jewish tradition tells us that he was killed by being sawn in two by King Manasseh, the son of King Hezekiah. Here, one of the major prophets of the Bible, the mouthpiece of God. His name itself remains, it means the Lord is salvation. It's Yahweh, the Lord is salvation. We know that God used him powerfully as he lived in Jerusalem and, and prophesied the, the, the word of God or the will of God to Israel and Judah and other nations. And yet he, his life ends like it does. It, 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 it kind of reminds me of something I've heard people say. What was it? What is it that people say that reality bites sometimes? And, and I understand that. We see that even in the word of God here. Historically, in chapter 1 and verse 1, we get a little bit better picture here. We read the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So this tells us if we, we add up all the tenure and the reigns of those kings, then we learn that, that Isaiah's ministry lasted for about 40 years. I mean, he had an impact. There's no question about that. Isaiah really had an impact on God's people. Isaiah was one of the most effective voices in all history on God's behalf for the kingdom. And, and then his truths are timeless as we look at Isaiah. And so if we're talking about revival, one place that we need to go is the book of Isaiah. So if we desire to bathe ourselves in the pool of spiritual knowledge, to, to really get connected to the word of God, I mean, to find God and to find his direction for life and to have his plan for life implemented in our life, then, then obviously we want to get connected. And, and that's a big deal, getting connected with God. Would you agree with that, church? That getting connected with God is a big deal because when, when you're not connected, you know, life just isn't as good. It's just not as grand. I, I remember uh, just not many months ago, my wife and I moved into uh, an apartment here in San Diego. And by the way, we found a house to rent Friday, the 26th. We're moving into a house and we're so excited about that. So if you want to work out, you have your chance on Friday, the 26th. But uh, we're going to be moving. But anyhow, we moved into our apartment there over at Portofino. And, and uh, you know, I'm not a tech guy. And we have a kind of like we have a big screen TV and a, a table about like this that we set the, the big screen on. And so I set the big screen up on the table in the living room and I pull out this box and it has all kinds of wires because we have other components as well. And I'm just not a tech guy. I'm thinking, man, I, I, I really I really don't know what to do with this. I mean, we did our best and I, I turned the big screen on and. And you know, the big screens, have you noticed that they have these little tiny speakers? If you don't have surround sound or a sound bar, I mean, you're in trouble. Because these little tiny speakers on the big screen, it sounds like, you know, mice speaking through those speakers. I mean, it's not a good experience. It's about one-tenth of the experience that it can be, right? As you 
plug in your big screen. I mean, that's about all I was able to do was plug in the big screen. So what did I do? I called Tiffany and Rusty. That's right. Tiffany and Rusty, they were in the first service. I invited them to come over and help me out. And, and uh, you know, Rusty, he's a magician when it comes to technology. Uh, and Tiffany came to give him direction. You know how that is. That's how that works out. So Tiffany came along to give him direction. So anyhow, he pulls the cabinet out, the TV, and bada bing, bada boom, bam. I mean, quick is a flash. He has that thing hooked up, and I have my sound bar and surround sound, and it's absolutely phenomenal because we're connected. You see, when you're not connected, life just kind of stinks. And when you're not connected with God, I mean, it's not really, you know, our spiritual experience. It's just, I mean, it's not in surround sound. It's just not that good when we're, we're saying that we're Christian, but we're really not connected with God. You see, what Isaiah is trying to get at is that, that he, he wants us. God wants to be connected to us. And you see, the challenge for us is to want to be connected with God. And so we come to Isaiah chapter 57. Look at that. Chapter 57, looking at verse 15 uh, here. And in chapter 1, it describes the beginning of Isaiah's ministry as a challenge to God's people as we prepare to read this verse in just a moment. But it, it, it kind of challenges them to go to the mountain of the Lord, really. I mean, so how, how do we get connected with God? He says we get connected by going to the mountain of the Lord. Now, now, where is the mountain of the Lord? I mean, what does that mean to you when we say, okay, it's time to go to the mountain of the Lord? Well, for me, you know, the mountain of the Lord sometimes was church camp, you know, and we look forward to that. That's coming this summer, teenagers. And we go to church camp and there's the speaker and there's the music and there's that experience. And, and it's very possible that when we're at church camp that we find ourselves on the mountain of the Lord and we're in the presence of God and our hearts are filled and we're moved and we, we experience him, you know, like maybe we never have before. Maybe the mountain of the Lord is when you met Jesus for the very first time. Can you remember that? Maybe the mountain of the Lord is when somebody tells a story and as the story unfolds, you realize it was the hand of God that was telling that story. And God was in the story and the story moved you deeply to the point of even tears. And you find yourself in the presence of the Father and you're at the mountain of the Lord. You see, this is what Isaiah, he, he suggests, if we're going to have revival and experience revival as a church, he's saying we need to go to the mountain of the Lord. And in fact, later on, he talks about them experiencing the day of the Lord in verse 86, chapter 1. He refers to the, the day of the Lord, and really for two reasons, so that we might begin to anticipate, think of this for a moment, that we might begin to anticipate the return of our Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, you know that's what that's about because all of the New Old Testament is pointing to what the New Testament is about. And the New Testament is about one thing. It's about Jesus Christ. And so he says, how do you go to the mountain of the Lord? Anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ, the present of Jesus Christ. It is about him. Amen. But the second thing is that not only that we anticipate the presence of the coming of Jesus Christ, but also that we might personally encounter God on a personal level. You say, okay, pastor, how do we have revival? Well, we have to encounter God on a personal level. How come there's some people that they stick? I mean, they, they continue to be a part of the lifeblood of the church and they continue to worship God no matter what age they are at. Versus some, they seem to drift away as they go through the transition from one age to another or one age group to another. 
And we scratch our heads and say, what's happening? Well, I propose that the reason why people stay, no matter what age they are at, is because they have had a real personal encounter with God. And they've experienced God on a very personal, intimate level. You see, what Isaiah is showing us is that God wants to have connection with us. God wants to have relationship with us. And you see the invitation that Isaiah gives us is that we can have relationship with him if we so desire it. Amen. So that we might experience the day of the Lord. I mean, what would that look like for you if you were to describe to your friend, you know, this is what the day of the Lord is for me, according to what the Bible says. And what I've experienced, the day of the Lord, is this. It's, it's such and such. Because I've encountered God in this way. Amen. And so Isaiah, he desires for us to recognize that God desires for us to have revival. This is a little bit of a rub, I understand, because our generation is programmed to pursue, hap- pursue happiness, wholeness, cures for hurt feelings, and answers to damaged psyche. But this might be a shock. You know, God is not as much concerned about those things as as maybe you are, because what God is concerned about, he's concerned about making us holy. And one pathway to holiness is a pathway of humility and brokenness before the Lord. Look at the verse now. Look at chapter 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. This is the voice of God now. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And contrite means that that we are remorseful. It means that, that we have a repentant heart. It means that we're willing to repent. We're willing to be contrite. This means lowly in spirit so that, that we might discover the will of God. So he says, He says, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So the pathway to holiness, you see what Isaiah is showing us, is a pathway uh, of brokenness. I think oftentimes uh, we, we, we think of revival as being a time of great joy and fulfillment or celebration. And that's not altogether wrong. I mean, there is a lot of fullness. But unfortunately, you know, folks, what I'm saying is there's there's no such thing as a painless Pentecost. You know, it's very possible that if we're going to have revival and, and, and mission churches are going to experience the presence and the power of God, that we might have to go through the process of brokenness and having a, a contrite heart. And so, therefore, this is the first thought I have this morning, is that before we meet God in revival, we must meet him in brokenness. That's what the blank is there as you fill that in. Before we meet God in revival, we must meet him in brokenness. And brokenness is not the same as being deeply hurt by tragedy, you know, crying buckets of tears. It's not because, oh, something's bad happened and woe is me because I'm having all these troubles. I mean, that's not brokenness. That's just part of being human. Brokenness is not a a feeling, and it can be. There can be some feeling, you know, that happens as the Spirit comes upon us, and, and He begins to move us, and He begins to teach us about having a contrite heart, but it's not altogether just feeling. I mean, what it is, it's more of a choice. It's, it's a lifestyle of change that is going on. It is, it is saying that in our brokenness, that my life is not working this way, and God has shown me that I must go this way. It is turning 180 degrees and following in Jesus Christ with all your strength and your heart and your mind that Christ might be lifted up in your life. You see, that's what it means to have a contrite heart. Amen. 
You see, amen. Brokenness is agreeing with God about a true condition of our heart and his will and our surrender to him. That's what brokenness is. I don't know about you, but as I was sharing with our service uh, this morning, I, I just felt this overwhelming desire and this passion in my heart to see Mission Church of the Nazarene broken before the Lord. And brokenness happens not with the visitors that come and come to the altar. Folks, brokenness happens with the saints. It happens with the congregation. It happens with the church. Hallelujah. God wants us to be broken before him this morning. I believe that. And as we look at this this morning, we recognize that that God not only brings revival to us when we meet him in brokenness, but we recognize that the scripture is full of this example of brokenness every time we open the word of God. In fact, I can think of I can think of other kings that committed far less sin than David. I mean, think of King David for a moment. I think of other kings that committed far less sin than David. I mean, he was an adulterer and a murderer and all of that. And yet we read that he's a man after God's own heart. And there were many other kings that did not even near the sin that he committed. But they did not experience revival. And their hearts were not renewed. And they were not revived. Why? Because there are significant differences. For David, I mean, there are two reasons he was a man after God's own heart. Is number one, David repented of his sin. He had a contrite heart. He repented of his sin. And then he also recognized the place of God. He recognized that God needed to be the head. That God needed to call the shots. That God needed to be in charge of his life. That's what he recognized. And in that contrite heart, the Spirit of God came upon him. And his relationship with God was renewed. You see, David is the standard. He sets the example. While Saul, on the other hand, remember Saul. When he is confronted with his sin, what did he do? He made excuses for himself. When he is confronted with his sin, he said, well, it's their fault. I'm this way because they are doing this to me. He was the kind of guy that said, well, because of all these things in my life, I cannot be what God has called me to be. You see, Saul spent his time making excuses rather than having a contrite heart and being broken before the Lord. I'm wondering if that's what's missing this morning. I mean, if we're to experience a sweep of revival in our congregation, I'm wondering if it's what this scripture is talking about. Having a contrite heart is what what is maybe missing. Jesus said, listen to this. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. James writes of God, quote, he lifts up those who are humble. He lifts up those who are humble and then he stiff arms those that are proud. I mean, I'm processing this. So he's lifting up those that are humble. He stiff arms those that are proud. And I'm wondering if it's that pride that keeps us from being contrite and broken and poured out when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. About being broken and poured out. (laughs) Jesus, I I remember Jesus as he's breaking the bread. And I think of the symbolism of him breaking bread and and reminding us that it is in this brokenness that, that so much is done. Because later on when his flesh is torn and his flesh is broken upon the cross and his blood is being poured out. That the power of eternity begins to seep into our soul as we call out to him. It's in the brokenness of that bread and the brokenness of Jesus Christ's life that we have everlasting life. Amen. 
And I think of Luke as he talks about the Mary that comes and she's crying and she's broken and she's kneeling down and she's anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. And I'm thinking about the power that comes upon her and the words of Christ because it's in brokenness that she's wiping the feet of Jesus Christ. I think of the spirit of brokenness and revival because of personal and corporate brokenness and in brokenness and the contrite heart. The spirit of God comes alive in our church as we're broken before him and we experience his power in our lives. I'll never I'll always be grateful for that second year of marriage. The end of that second year of marriage when I probably was broken more than I have ever been broken in all of my life. I was in seminary, we were poor, my wife and I were married, and we'd had our first baby already, and she was special needs, and so we were adjusting to the stress of a special needs child, and we were literally poverty-stricken as seminary students, I mean, living on very little, I mean, just very little, and, 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 and you know, and me, I, I went into marriage with some kind of preset ideas and concepts, and I was pushing this on my wife, and my wife was absolutely miserable, and, and if she was here, I would share this, but she was absolutely miserable, and I'll never forget that, that Friday night, Terry, when she told me what she was really feeling, and it broke my heart, because I realized I was a horrible husband. I was raised in church. I thought I was a good man, but I was a horrible husband. And I left, not knowing where this would go. And I went and called my pastor, Ken Wells, and I met with my pastor. And I lamented to my pastor, and I, and I told him, well, she doesn't do this, and she doesn't do that. And I just, this whole litany of things with the problems. And he listened quietly, didn't speak, and then he just blew my world up. He said, well, he says, it's your fault. I said, but no, it's your fault. I said, yeah, but she, no, it's your fault. And then he went on to describe to me and share with me that, that I had not learned what unconditional love was. You see, I had these expectations and I had not learned what true love was, that love was to love your spouse unconditionally. And, and I remember that moment as the Lord came upon that, that time and he used that and he used the words of my pastor. And I remember quite literally that I became conscious that I was going to have to make a 180 degree turn in my behavior, in my life. And men, it's hard to change behaviors. But the Lord spoke to me and I knew I needed to make a 180 degree turn and I needed to love my wife unconditionally. And my gracious wife that I love so much, she was so very patient and she waited patiently as the Lord was working in my life and I was learning to be a better man and a better husband. And two years passed, and it it became kind of started feeling natural, and a couple more years passed, and and it became more natural. And after about ten years, I found myself overwhelmed with emotion because I, I looked at my life, and I realized that all the things that I was hoping for, and not only just my wife, but my own life, had become a reality. And it became a reality and the marriage was renewed and revived because I had to become broken and contrite before the Lord. Uh, Congregation. In what way do we need to be contrite and broken? 
In what way is the Lord speaking to you about being broken before him and, and laying it before him? And maybe it is something that you're wrestling with, guys, that, that is a vice. And maybe it is sin. And it's time to lay the sin before God and say, God, I know that the sin is ruining my relationship with you. And I need to be broken. Maybe it's something else. That's, maybe it's a relationship or a, a marriage that you have. It's falling apart. And you're saying, God, in brokenness, I need you to help me with this. Show me how to be humble. As we are contrite before the Lord. You know, I, I, I shared this with the first congregators, the first hour. I want to say it to you this morning. I know that the pain of life sometimes destroys your self-confidence. I know life does that to you. Sometimes things happen and it affects your self-confidence. Yet it's the very condition that God can use and he can take that condition and he can create in you something beautiful that was never created before. Because of your contrite spirit and because of your brokenness. And then God is lifted up because he's the master. And as the master, he repairs the soul and he repairs the life. And revival comes because we're broken before the Lord. I love the story Norman Vincent Peale, he shares with Reader's Digest in 1982. He tells about the story of this renowned violinist, uh, Peter uh, Cropper, I think. Peter Cropper. And, and he, he says that Peter Cropper was this internationally renowned violinist, very popular in 1982. And in fact, a museum in London had a Stradivarius that was... 258 years old. Imagine that, a violin that's 258 years old. And they, they give it to Peter because he's going on a world tour and, and they say you can use this Stradivarius, this 258 year old Stradivarius for your world tour. And so Peter graciously takes the violin and he starts his world tour. When Finland, two story in Finland, after the concert he trips and he falls on the violin and he breaks it. Well, they search for, you know, a master violin maker, creator. I'm sure there's an official name for that. But they find a guy that does this kind of thing. He creates violins. And, and, and then as you read the article, you're just thinking, wow. Because they said what the master creator of violins did is he repaired that Stradivarius, 258 years old. He repaired it so well that you cannot even find where it was broken. It's so perfectly done. In fact, the experts say that the, the violin sounds better than it's ever sounded before. And the notes soar. Because they put in the hands of the master. That, that's what Isaiah is challenging us to do. Is to take our life. And in the contrite spirit to put it in the hands of the master, the master that will make the changes, the master that will make the repairs, the master that will heal the heart, the master that will bring to completion what it is that God wants to bring to completion in your life and in this church. Church, I want to invite us to be broken and contrite before the Lord this morning. What does that mean? I'm not sure how that looks I think that, you know, we, we use an altar in the Church of the Nazarene, and we have this altar that we now have. We have some chairs, and we're going to have response time. But I, I want to invite us to be broken and contrite in our spirit this morning. And maybe for some of you, you do not know what it is that God is trying to break in you. 
but you have this desire in you to be broken before the Lord, I want to invite you just to come and say, Lord, whatever it is, I want you to break that in me. I want to be contrite. Maybe there is something that the Lord is wrestling with you about, and there's something in your life that does not belong, and it's sin. You're saying, Lord, I need to be contrite. I need your help. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's our church. And it's something in our church and we're still lamenting and we're still healing. And I understand that. And I want to invite us just to come as a church and say, Lord, I'm broken before you this morning and I want to be contrite. Can we do that this morning? Can we come and kneel around the altars here this morning, church, and say, Lord, I'm broken. I want to be contrite. I want you to do your work in me, whatever that work might be. In fact, I want to invite us to stand and and invite our worship team to come. And unless the worship team wants to pray and kneel, I want to invite the worship team and the band to have the freedom to say, you know, this is my church. And I want our church to be obedient to God and I want our church to be broken before the Lord and I want us to have a contrite heart and I I want to invite us to all be willing to do what it is that we need to do to to obey God this morning as we come before him in brokenness before the music starts I want to invite us just to begin to come and kneel at this altar won't you come now Come now, let's just listen to the Lord as the Holy Spirit is speaking. Teenagers, maybe the Lord is saying, be broken, be contrite. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in your heart in a way that only the Holy Spirit can. And say, God, you know what I'm wrestling with. Be broken and just come and kneel right now. Come on, everybody, anybody else that wants to come and kneel, I invite you to do that. We have plenty of room right here at the altar and the pews in front of the sanctuary here. Let's just be broken. Let's be contrite. Let's seek God and say, Father, I'm given this to you right now. Lord, you know what it is that he's speaking to you about. You know, you know what it is that he wants to work on in your life. You know, Lord, I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to be contrite. I'm going to say, Lord, I, I need your revival. I need to be revived. I don't know about you, but I want to be revived. I want to experience God's, God's anointing firsthand. I want to have that fresh touch like I did that moment when I said, Jesus, I choose you as my Savior. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Maybe this morning, this can be that moment for you. You're saying, Jesus, I'm following you. But let's just come and be broken. Let's be poured out. Let's be contrite this morning, church, as we worship God. And as we sing, the Spirit moves you come. And let's just worship together. Let's kneel together as we are poured out before Him. And as we sing...